marketing. And I'm so excited today because I have with me a guest I refer to all the time. I think you probably know most of his wise sayings from every time that I mention him on my podcast. I think <laughs> I, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, Brett, because maybe you should start charging me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I can't do that. I have a money concept problem. So. Oh, do you? <laughs> Touche, right at the beginning. Go for it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I talk all the time about you. So um, for my guests, you are in for a real treat. This is the illustrious Brett Baker with Trust Point Management. And I am telling you, this is, in my opinion, the best business coach. So, um, Brett, just give us your wisdom on this episode. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I will. You're you're giving me too much credit because I just found you in a in a vulnerable state, right? Oh well, like now that you say it that way, when am I not in a vulnerable state? Oh, <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. It is a vulnerable state. You know, Priscilla, can I take a step and and just tell that story that I first met you? What you, what your reasoning was to to call me, or you when you and I talked? Oh, that would be awesome. In fact, I would love hearing it from your perspective. Well, so, what's so amazing is is that typically people will call me whether they're they're managing salespeople or they're a salesperson mm-hmm. or they're an owner that has both. And usually they're calling saying things like, uh, we don't have enough opportunity in the pipeline, we're not closing what we should be, our margins are not where I want them. And it's usually some level of them trying to sell more or get better, you know, something some kind of a sales result. And so when I got to talking to you, you said, I don't need to sell anymore. I just don't like the way I feel after a sales call. <laughs> and it was just so profound because you truly, I think, were really good at your sales process. But you probably, I don't know if what the word was, but you probably got it done whether they liked it or not. And yeah. I thought it was interesting. You didn't like the feeling. That was I didn't in- like the feeling. I really, ha- I felt that I was manipulating people. Okay. And the reality was that I was good at it, number one, and number two, I, it wasn't in alignment with my values. That's why it always was a disconnect with me. Yes, I got the contract signed, but gosh, I never felt good about it. And that, I, I, if I were to stay in sales, that was going to have to change, you know? Yeah. I was making good money. I, you know, still making good money. And I, that's, that's not the problem. The problem is, being able to make good money and still have all of your values and ideals intact. Right. Well, that's probably where we lined up a little bit because I was probably the opposite of you is I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted them to buy for all the reasons I shared with them and dump all the features Mm -hmm. and benefits in front of them. And if they'll just like me, they'll buy for me where I had to learn to ask stronger questions and challenge the right moment while being in that nurturing parent. So I think you and I came together at probably the right time because we were in such opposite spectrums. Well, I think a little bit of that, and you just threw out a bunch of things I want to talk about. But, you know, the other piece of the puzzle was you're a very patient person. And having worked with you over, you know, over a decade now, I know how much of a patient person you are. You don't make me understand things until I'm ready to understand things. You always say to me, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything to you until it means something to you. <laughs> and, yeah. But the other thing is, is that I could make a quick decision that what I was presenting was good for this person. And I was impatient to help them go through and discover that this was their solution. Right. So I would just be like, this is your solution. Do you want this to sign this or not? 
(laughs) And I just was very intolerant of other people's decision making process. And I didn't understand it. As soon as there was a, you know, decision making process that I didn't understand, I had no appreciation for it. Right. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I was missing out on really having quality conversations with people. And I was missing out on making or not making them on. See, I was I wanted to make everybody do everything. Um, I, I was missing out on really the joy it is of letting other people discover what they need to do. Right. And, and you I- have helped me do that for years just for me to discover what my next step is. I think that's the secret to the whole sales game that we, we call them traditional salespeople mm-hmm. show up, give them the reasons to buy and go for the clothes and the books in Barnes and Noble will tell you to, you know, overcome stalls and objections. And what you're mm-hmm. talking about is, is can we be patient enough to let them self-discover through our questions? Mm-hmm. And if we can ask a question and they come to their own conclusion, then it's their idea, not ours. And that we just got to get out of the way. Well, really good questioning strategies I learned from you. So if anybody has ever said to me, wow, you ask great questions, I'd be like, yes, thank you, Brett Baker. I do ask good questions. <laughs> so, not my original idea, but it is so helpful. And it's now it's, it's a paradigm shift. It's just the way I think now. You know, I'm so curious about people's businesses and I'm curious about their revenue picture. And that all came through the Sandler system to me with you at TrustPoint. So I hold you I very high regard. So, But I, I've been meaning to call you about this thing. I listened a while back to This American Life, which is my favorite podcast ever. Okay. Um, you know, second to Ponderings from the Perch, of course. But uh, it was a day in the life of a car salesman. Oh. And it, I'm serious. I love your reaction. Just, oh, just, it's, it, you already feel slimed, right? Mm-hmm. And they followed for an entire month an entire dealership. Oh. And so they had different radio people with different salespeople, and then they all met up, and they were always in all of the marketing meetings. Can you imagine the hell that ensued? No. It just would be painful. It was so painful. You've got to listen to this episode. It's horrible. So let's let's unpack this a little bit. You mentioned it already about the difference between the traditional salesperson and the non-traditional salesperson because you're right. We got in alignment very quickly because that's what I want to do in marketing. I want to, you know, really deal in authenticity and that's not where this where salespeople and marketing came from in the past so tell me break that down a little bit for me like what do you see as traditional and non-traditional so traditional and Priscilla is it okay if I tell people to write something down if yeah yeah or driving or they might be writing something down but when I think of traditional there's something happening between the traditional salesperson. That traditional salesperson has got to find somebody to talk to, mm-hmm. they show them what they have, features and benefits, and they're going to go for the close. Mm-hmm. And if they buy, great. If they don't, then they chase. But mm-hmm. sales, traditional salespeople don't call it chase. They call it follow-up calls. Uh. And so what's happening on the other side of those four things is the customer's lying they're stealing our information. They're lying to us again with the delay. We'll think it over, and then they hide. Mm-hmm. Usually, this professional salesperson doesn't know what that sounds like. It comes in the form of stuff like this. You know, Priscilla, this looks really good. We might possibly maybe consider this. In fact, this looks awesome. You've done a great job. Why don't you give us a call sometime next year and see how we're doing? And <laughs> people walk out of that thinking they got one. Right. And it's just a really nice no. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be aware of when that's happening to you. 
Well, when you say it's nice to know, I, that that makes me think already, you know, one of the other things that you taught me was getting a no today. A no today is amazing. A no today is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That that tells me where I stand. And, um, and as you always say, a no today is not a no forever. So, you know, but what is it about salespeople when you let's kind of talk a little bit more about that traditional where they think. I've got one. What what does that feel like? Like so well, I think that when salespeople because they have to either be prospecting or they got to be taking care of their customers. And mm-hmm. when they start to prospect, a lot of people are going to say no compared to the ones that say yes. So when someone even wants to have a conversation, it's such an overwhelming good feeling that somebody wants to talk to us. Mm-hmm. We get excited and we start <laughs> dumping our stuff. Sandler calls it, don't spill your candy in the lobby. But that's what we want to do. We want to spill all the candy and say, what flavor? <laughs> and uh, when people don't tell us that, no, they, they want to be nice to us and let us off the hook. But here's the thing is that it doesn't mean anything like you said till it means something to us. If you start realizing that people are nice to us, I want to be the first one to know it's a no, not the last one to know it's a no. <laughs> That's why I became comfortable with it. I didn't want to be in that chase mode. It's, right. it's terrible. Well, we talk in marketing a lot about the chase. We talk about it. Um, uh, you know, you talked with me about like voicemail jail. And we talk a lot in marketing about email jail. Okay. You know, so you do some, probably some disingenuous things. Hey, I just wanted to da-da-da, but that's not the truth, in order to elicit a response. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about that. It's kind of like, you know, you're fishing with the wrong kind of bait. And so then people are surprised that they get junk fish back, you know. Right. When they're not being honest to begin with. So I had, I just finished writing this this definitive guide about nine reasons why people are busy ignoring your email. <laughs> and, and I one of those, you know, some of those reasons come up that those are the typical tricks. I, I do use the word tricks of a traditional salesperson. So what are some of the other tricks you hear a lot? They leave just the, you know, a voicemail or what? what, what are some of the things, the pain that they're in when they come to you? Um, I think that uh, you mean from the voicemail standpoint, or anything? yeah, and why they're being ignored and they're not they're not being told the truth, like in the chase. Well, I think it's because they sound like everybody else. So, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the eleventh commandment says you can lie to salespeople and still go to heaven. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? Everybody is, believes that commandment. They're not following the other ones, but they're following that one. I know the customer, the prospect's not a bad person. It's just that salespeople do the same thing now for decades, and they right. all sound the same. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they, if we're going to interrupt that, uh, they have to sound, feel, and act differently. Mm-hmm. And we call that those kind of pattern interrupts in life. Sometimes you and I have laughed. It's kind of like if we say Marco, everyone thinks Polo. Oh, well. It's an automatic trigger. Mm-hmm. So we've got to stop the Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. And and change that up because things like I was in the neighborhood or uh, I wanted to stop by and introduce myself. All those things are people. It's all a big antenna for I'm going to close you for mm-hmm. money. Right. Well, it's interesting because I just came back from Emerging Women, which, as you know, is a conference I go to every year. Yes. It's a beautiful women talking about, like, making a difference in the world. And really, if I could sum it up right now, like really understanding the energy and the force that we use um, to get change done. Because I, I love how someone put it. I wish I knew who this quote was. You know, some people have said in the past, you know, the ends justify the means, you know, but someone told me, no, it's it's all means. There is no end. 
And I love this idea of the way you go about change is just as important as the change you get, right? And this is the truth. If we go back to the very beginning of our conversation, yes, I would get the contract, but in the meantime, I would kind of, I would feel like I was selling my soul. Okay. And so, you know, to quote another great book, what would it, what would it profit a man to sell his soul? Um, You know, this idea of you (laughs) have to be able to stay in alignment with, you know, what is completely true to you. And part of that, you know, if you look at your own core values is, you know, treating people with respect, really telling people the truth. But you're right. In the end, people think it's it's totally fine to lie to salespeople. But let's look at the flip side of that. It's because salespeople for a long time have lied to them. And I find that exact we could have this exact same conversation. It's not just salespeople, but it's in marketing and salespeople are nothing but the vehicle of marketing. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. What would it look like if they were non-traditional? What is different? What could be different? What what could they be doing instead of listing out the features and benefits of the particular product? Well, it's interesting that you're challenging me with this question because mm. I do play on the sales side of things, but we tend to get not, we tend to have conversations with the marketing side. So we our strategy in the sales side is let's not talk about the features and benefits. Let's talk about the pain for the reasons for doing business of other people because you know priscilla it's kind of that thing that people support their own ideas the most they resist others especially salespeople. so when we're talking we're training sales and management people to have that conversation with their product and service let's talk about what the other why the other people bought they were frustrated with this or they were concerned about that gap or they were under pressure to hit this point those are the reasons why people buy. If we can get them to have similar you know, patterns with that, then they are more interested to talk with us because it's other people's stuff. So right. it's the same with marketing. And I think you, I don't know if you've seen some of that around, but um, when people deal with emotional reasons, mm-hmm. emotional pain now or pain in the future, make it go away. It's multiple times more what? More uh, to take action on. More yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. more motivating. So, so this is I'll, I'll challenge you even further with that. But how we we know that we're trying to get at people's emotions. That's how people buy. I hate I, I used to hate this phrase. Other people buy from people. Yes, I know, uh, but they buy from companies, and companies are made out of people. I get this whole thing, and the only reason I hate it is because it's it's probably overused. But this this idea is like I know people also buy emotionally. I know this because I'm I deal with this all day long. But how do we represent our product, represent our our solution, like you said, to the pain? How do we walk through that process with a prospect and not manipulate them? This was the question that I had, and I I, I think you've walked me through such amazing growth in this, but I hear this problem from other people over and over again, because they still feel that marketers are manipulating them still feel that sometimes feel bad when we're talking about an emotional issue. We're bringing someone to kind of tap back into their pain. So talk a little bit about how you, how you go about seeing that. Like what's the paradigm? Like what, how do, how do you, how do you, yeah. An anchor, whether it's a marketing conversation or a sales conversation, there might be an anchor that you stay left of it. And I know that's a buzzword maybe for some of the people listening to this, but it's sort of staying on the opposite side of what most people would think you're going to do. Instead of pulling them to, 
you kind of stay away from it a little bit. So it might sound something like this. It might be if you're not having a problem with this or you're not concerned about this or if you're not under pressure for that, there's probably no reason for us to talk. So that's not <laughs> you that's say that. I mean, seriously, you should probably repeat that. You say that like it's just like you are just in the moment and you are just sincere. You have this amazing knack of doing that. But I'm telling you, probably like 16 salespeople listening right now probably passed out when you right. said that. Right. Well, it's kind of it's it's just the opposite of what people are used to. So it's a major pattern interrupt on the uh, uh, on that conversation. It's it's what it's really I'm OK with. No. And I'm OK if you're happy where you are. You're not going to see me push you in, into buying or or features and benefits. It's sort of like if you were using a red marker and you've used a red marker for five years and I sell green markers. Mm-hmm. I. Most people would say, Priscilla, you got to have this green marker. It's awesome. It really changes the whole look of everything. You're not stuck using the red. Versus, I would say, are you happy with your red marker? If you're happier, and there's probably no reason to talk about the green markers. Mm-hmm. And then, then if they say, no, I'm really happy, there is no reason, then that's their idea. But if they say, well, green markers sound interesting, what is that? And I might say, well, why does it sound interesting? And then you stay in that moment. But it's got to be their idea. And that's what I think is the, the difference of the Marco Polo pattern interrupt. It's their stuff. Well, yeah, and you're right. What people are used to, they're used to if they give you pushback, the salesperson pushes even harder. Yes. And that is so old. When is that going to stop? That's still happening right now in this, as we're recording this. Well, it's, and I, you know, I'll be really honest. The reason why I kept doing it early on was because it still worked. And, yes. it, and But I felt like crap. It's exhausting, too. It's exhausting. It's exhausting for everybody, and it ruins it ruins the world for everybody. Could we just get to where we're actually two humans, con- you know, having a conversation and, and understanding, what do you need? This is what I sell. This is why I think it is, of, you know, a, a, a great solution to the things you just shared to me. I'm curious about this and that. You know, just really, you know, having a conversation. But, you know, I, conversation is harder and harder to have with, you know, so many devices, people being so busy, people are so time poor. And, uh, you know, I, I've just listened to this other podcast um, with a professor from MIT talking mm-hmm. about how the generation now um, is growing up where it's very rare that they've had their parents with them without a device. Uh-huh. You know, parents are even bathing their children, sitting on, you know, in the toilet and the bathroom with yep. them, but they're checking their emails right. or they're at the game and they're checking their emails and this kind of thing. So, you know, I'm, this is a bigger systemic problem. And I, and I also don't I, if you listen to my podcast about um, the generational thing, I hate always trying to push people into certain generational you know, paradigms, because it doesn't work, you know, with, with everybody. But I do think it's valuable for this conversation between you and I to say the art of just having a conversation with people is very much lost in sales and marketing. So Priscilla, hearing you say that so well, what we've got to do is we've got to get permission to have that real conversation up front. And I think we'll find that most people are okay with it. I just got off the call with a gal who sells software up in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. She says, Brett, I'm starting to get the point in the beginning of my conversations. I'm saying to that person, listen, let's have a real conversation because we got to figure out at the end of this conversation if we're a fit or not. So we got to challenge each other. And you know, if you want to go further, we're going to have to get executive sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So can we just agree? Let's go there. And if we don't see a fit, we'll stop. She mm-hmm. says that now that she's been saying that for the last, over the last year, she says, 
her conversations are getting more real and to the truth. Right. Doesn't always mean that they say yes to her, but they're the truth. Well, they're the truth. And also, I think that, you know, you think, oh, well, is it the truth? And so you get more sales. Maybe or maybe not. But I think eventually you get more sales just because you're spending so, um, so much less time talking to people who are never going to buy from you. Yeah. They never were. And they're never going to tell you about somebody else. No. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, when you say more sales, it might be a no or it may not be more sales at the moment. But the ones that say yes, mm-hmm. you, you, you helped them in such a cool process that they actually enjoyed working with you, being sold by you. Not that the, they don't hate it, mm-hmm. but they'll tell somebody. Right. right. That's the power. We get paid twice. Well, well, and for me, it, it's really interesting and for anybody who's listening in agency world or doing freelance work or things like that is that we do have long-term payout with clients. We work with people year in and year out. You know, for people who are listening that are freelancers or they are coaches or they are, I have a lot of people who are coaches, so I hope they really enjoy, um, you know, this podcast. But coaches, for me as an agency, I do business repeatedly with the same people. So building that rapport and that trust and those real conversations is a totally it's totally key and it keeps it, it, and I can see over time it has kept me from doing work that my client didn't really want but didn't know how to tell me no wow. and in the end if I can work just on the things that are truly valuable to them then I don't spend my wheels because you got to think about it you know if I'm on retainer I'm going to spend this many hours but are they going to be totally satisfied with it maybe they don't want to tell me no about a particular project I've pitched to them well if they can't tell me no and if I don't question that and really get a hold of the truth in it I may spend many many hours in a month working with a design team a creative team web people you know all kinds of things only to find they're like yeah that's not really what we wanted but we just we like you so we let you do it right (laughs) (laughs) please don't let me do work you don't like (laughs) (laughs) you know so priscilla how do you i mean is that where you have a stronger upfront agreement with them that that your concern is don't let's not do that to each other well i mean brett you you know you you've taught me so well for so many years i so much of this this stuff just happens now naturally in the conversation i don't know how to do business differently now So that's how good you are. You're good. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's constantly coming back to that. Let's talk about the truth. And, you know, I joke around with my, with my, um, with my clients and say, you know, I'm a big girl, you know, I can take a no and I can take a redirect and I can understand, you know, your revenue world. If you'll share it with me, I I can, I can get it. Um, but we're going to have to get it. Otherwise we're not going to do business together. (laughs) And we're not going to do business together very long because the point of an agency is to make them more and more profitable. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, why are they here? They're not here because they don't have any other better idea of what they could do with their marketing budget. Yep. You know, it's that they're going out on a limb. And I really respect that people, especially when they're coming to an agency, they really are going out on a limb. And if I serve them up traditional marketing things and the same old, same old, not only between me and them as a client, but also if I then put their brand out there in a traditional way like that of features and benefits and shove it in people's faces that also will not work and I think people have woken up to the digital age with marketing and sales to understand that that won't work any longer and that is refreshing yeah 
you know, so to me, in some ways, because digital marketing, social media marketing, content, you know, connected marketing is new, people let it be new. But sales is as old as the hills. And so it is more difficult, I think, what your, you know, road to hoe is, um, it's more difficult to convince people that salespeople can be different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the whole marketing is changing. We've got to change our conversations. We've mm-hmm. got to change our ability to get the truth faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody was, I was, I was come across, you know, these three eras of selling and marketing. And, and uh, I think they was talking about era one was probably door to door seventies and eighties. Somebody said, we got to ask better questions. But the problem with era two is that the customer, the prospect knew the answers to the questions. Uh-huh. I Priscilla, we were in era where you've got to ask questions where they don't know necessarily know the answers. And that's the value you bring is helping them answer those questions. Well, and for the salesperson also, I think where I was, was that I may, you know, the prospect didn't know the answer. I'd ask the question, but I really assumed that I had the best answer. Ah, okay. And I think that was a big shift when I really understood what the, the techniques you were talking to me about, how I could really get back in alignment with my values and my authentic message. And that is to quit assuming that I know the best thing for this client. And so you can get curious and you can develop a respect along with the rapport because you are actually listening to the client and finding out what they need. And you're right. They don't know what they need. But could we could we walk through it with them? Could we figure it out? So, you know, that made sales so much more interesting to me. Cool. Yeah. So tell me about some of the things that crack you up or, or, or freak you out or flip you out about like crazy stories that people tell you or, you know, or, or, you know, quotes you're so tired of hearing. Let's talk about some of that stuff. Oh gosh. I'm ready to Uh laugh. (laughs) Uh I don't know. You know, what's so funny is I get to hang around people that are so open-minded to changing their game. We tend to, we tend to leave those in the dust, but, um, Mm -hmm. could I answer your question more from, uh, probably from a story that is pretty strong from someone who asks good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, I had this, this consultant was talking to me and they had an, an owner of a company say, why do we have to do this project in this town? Why can't we do it in this town? And uh, the person says, you know, that's not the question you should be asking me, which took out a role, took some guts to add, to right. say he says, that's not the question you'd be asking me. The question you should be asking me is, do you think I'm, you're the type of leader that can actually drive the change? Holy so, Priscilla, it's sort of like... I mean, Ouch, you talk about sales guts, guts to ask the real questions. Oh, my gosh. I know. And see, that's that's the risk I think sometimes you take. But what I what I think business owners appreciate, and they might have to have a little bit more of that direct style like you have, but they, they love that when people challenge them like that. I think they live for that. Well, I, you're right. I am a, a direct person, and you saw that from the very beginning. Um, the problem was that um, I had to actually hold some of that directness back and let my, you know, let other people guide the conversation and take some of my own importance out and my assumptions out and those kinds of things. But it is so funny to hear it when you say it like that in that story and that bold statement. It's not full of arrogance. It's full of just the truth, and it doesn't feel 
horrible, like a I'm going to tell you what to do kind of a situation. It doesn't sound arrogant. So you can still be direct and say amazing things to people if you say it the right way. You know, that rule that we've had for years, Priscilla, is if you feel it, say it nurturingly. And you know, what you're saying is right in the money. If you if you feel it in your gut, don't let it filter out your head. And just, okay. Are we gonna are we gonna have confessional time then now? Sure. <laughs> this is when it starts. <laughs> I can't believe you you broke this one out because my you know, you've also come here and done a lot of culture work with my team, which oh I just I love it. And they every time you walk out they're like, Oh, can we have more of them? It's so great. And you know, it, it is a huge boon to this culture. But we joke around. I get as transparent with my staff, too, about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And literally what is currently up on our whiteboard right now is softening statement. Oh, nice. And it's totally there for me. I'll because be I, you know, I deal all day long with just, I have to be direct with people. I'm, I'm managing, you know, 10 people. It's just, you know, I, I've, I've got, I'm managing creatives. Their, their vulnerability is on the line. And, you know, you and I talked last time you were in about um, our culture and I gave you my quote that I use all the time, which is, please work your work job, not your worth job. And that's what you bring up is the difference between the value of who you are as a person and your role. You can totally stink it up on your role today, but you are still a valuable person. You are a 10. You will leave this place as a 10 no matter what you did on your role. And, you know, this kind of a difference, but literally my staff is put up on the board softening statement because they just I'll say something in a meeting. They're like, oh, great. Say that again. But this time with a softening statement. Nice. So they'll actually <laughs> turn it back and reverse they will. it. It's so great. And it's, you know, cool. it's another way that we just continue to grow and we continue to understand that the way that we treat each other is the way that we are learning how to put even better face out to our client. You can't be someone different amongst your salespeople and your own team and then go out and expect to be someone different to your client. You have to be, you know, asking these questions, being non-traditional. You've got to be letting go of your assumptions. You've got to get curious with your own team. Understand what do you need from me? You know, I, I know you're asking me for this, but could it be true that you actually don't need it? Um, just getting curious about what we're, what we're doing and how we're selling each other all day long. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, I mean, that is, there's my confession. I that's that's probably like the hardest thing for me because I value so much direct talk. Yes, I value just don't need to sweeten it up for me. But everybody does not value that. Very true. So, Priscilla, you know, we this could be another topic, but you know, you get into this ego state stuff. You're not mm-hmm. talking to one person. You're talking to three. You got that parent ego, that adult ego, and the child ego. But what I'm hearing you say is that you'd rather just be, in, you know, stay in the adult all the time, be very direct. But this the Sandler world, it says 70% nurturing parent, 30% adult. So that's where those softening statements will make you, it'll help you rule the world. So if you say to someone, hey, don't take this the wrong way, but can I ask you a tough question? Or I'm glad you brought that up, but why are you bringing that up now? You know, wow. it's just softening statements will will just have the world eat at your fingers. It's it's a trip. Well, we joke around here too. Tone of voice is like I can say, "What were you thinking?" to to a creative. Yes. I actually, I'm truly wondering. Well, what were you thinking? How, like sometimes I may love it and be like, "What were you thinking?" Like, <laughs> how did you get here? Because you really great art, really really great art. You have you have erased your footsteps. 
right? right? You got there and then you went back and you erased your footsteps and people don't have to see the process. That's like making sausage or is like, I think it's Stephen King who calls it killing your babies. Right. Like you write or, or Brene Brown calls it shitty first drafts. Right. Just just get it out there, get them done, you know, but then you go and erase it. So a lot of times when I walk up to a to a creative, I don't see the work that they got to get there. I see this, you know, either amazing or horrible thing. And a lot of times I want to know, what are you thinking? Or I want their opinion about their work first before I import mine. What are you thinking? What are you thinking about this? And is that but too direct for them? It is. <laughs> it totally is. And also, I joke around. Now we, we know that so much so that the way that we laugh about it is that I say, what are you thinking? Just so that it's funny that they know that's not <laughs> at all what I could be meaning. Yeah, just a quick softening statement of, I love the end result here, but tell me what you were thinking. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I'm not loving this as much as you probably are. You know, help me understand. Help me understand how you got here. Or what do you think about that? You know, just amazing stuff. But, you know, now what Which is so comfortable. Which really just to say it, you don't want, you're not wired to have that. That takes a lot of energy to stop and do those softening statements. It does. It does. It's really, you know, it's interesting because I think that I've been in it enough years now where it happens for me in really predictable places. Like when I'm pitching a client, I'm very awake and alive to it. But when I'm just living my life with my staff and, and that kind of stuff, I don't always. And unfortunately, it hasn't completely seeped in there. So it still is a lot of work for me to do that. Yeah. And it may be work for me for a long time. You know? But what's cool is your culture can now laugh and have you repeat it. That's what's impressive. Right, right. Yeah, because I think that, you know, you build rapport with people and, you know, they learn to trust. Oh, she does. There's no way she means it that way. What she means is I, she must <laughs> totally love it. And she is dying to go home and recreate this herself. Right. So she wants to know how you did this. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, what happens a lot of times is I'm like, okay, great. How, what, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Okay, you're thinking that. Figure. Okay, now go take two of the other creatives and teach them what you just said to me because that is amazing. Right. And they, so sometimes I, I just, I get so in the moment of it that I don't remember that pe- other people are in the child. They're not in the parent mode either. And so they're hearing what I'm saying, you know, directly from there. You know, it's, it's, it is so fascinating. So think about like in marketing, take, take a little step outside of your world. What kind of stuff that you get in that you absolutely hate, that you feel is like akin to what you think of as traditional salesperson, and then you see it in marketing, it comes in your world, and you're like, ugh, I don't even deal with this stuff. You know, I'm, you know Priscilla, I'm probably kind of brainwashed, so that's a kind of a tough question for me, but I think when I open up a, whether it's a magazine or a business magazine or something, and you see the, the traditional words of, you know, we can help you with blah, 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 or it's Mm -hmm. just, it doesn't, it doesn't stop you in your tracks. So, Mm -hmm. but I'm probably too far the other direction. I mean, my gosh, my ads are, if you want some good old fashioned sales training, don't call me. No, I love that ad. <laughs> so I'm probably a little bit brainwashed, a little bit odd. So I'm, I tend to be critical. Uh, if it just doesn't say anything, I think people flip the page and they never even saw or heard you. Right. Uh, I think your next ad should be, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh something gosh. to get them to stop and ask that question. That's how you, that I think in, I would think in marketing that they would remember more, but... That's probably my biggest thing is, does it really stop in you and making you think? Okay, well, I have one other question that I really, I don't know how how deep we'll go in this, but 
I really want to hear a little bit from you. You talk with the actual presidents, the owners of companies who are managing, you know, maybe a few key or an entire room full of salespeople. And you deal with several that are on very large national scales where they are looking at, you know, numbers. And it's one thing to put something up on a pro forma, but it's another thing to figure out how to motivate these salespeople and how to actually turn it into numbers. So tell me a little bit about this, and let's just, you know, kind of talk back a little bit. I'm going to liken it to one experience I have with entrepreneurs, and then I want you to take that and kind of liken it in your world with these owners of very established companies. Because entrepreneur world, while it has all of its own pains, you can turn on a dime. Right. Right? But in these massive companies who a lot of them came to their money by traditional methods, they're in those owners are in a lot of pain, but they cannot turn their their ship on a dime, right? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the stories like with entrepreneurs. I just, I talk with them a lot of times about two things. Either they're asking the wrong question or in my experience a lot, they're asking the wrong people. And I talk to entrepreneurs about this a lot. They say, what do you think of this idea? I'm going to, you know, sell XYZ at this place and I'm going to, this is going to be the scheme. This is where I'm going to do it, blah, blah, blah. So they ask the question, what do you think of this idea? Number one, horrible horrible question. Who cares what people think about the idea? (laughs) And I try and get entrepreneurs to understand, how do you think this idea would be profitable? How do you think um, this, would you buy this idea? Like, would you be a, a, they they don't like to to ask the questions I think that really they don't want answered. The second thing is I find entrepreneurs don't ask the right people. Entrepreneurs typically go to their closest friends and family and say, hey, I'm going to start this business. This is what it's going to look like. What do you think? Okay. Well, friends and family, their absolute number one role in your life is to tell you how great you are <laughs> and right. to support you no matter what. So they're asking the wrong people. Yep. And they're not really ever getting to the place where they're, you know, talk to people who are going to put them through the paces and and really, you know, it what I call like rapid prototyping it or just kind of like let's run it through its paces the best we can, you know, type of thing. So that's my world where I see that with entrepreneurs and I can, you know, I can guide that and say you're asking the wrong people, you're asking the wrong questions. Let's find out what, what, you, what do you need to ask. And it may not be even to me. Sometimes I walk away from an entrepreneur. I, I deal with large established companies too. I may not be the person person for this entrepreneur. So tell me, kind of like in that experience, what do you feel like if if someone's listening here and they've got they've got real sales numbers, they've got a hit. This is this is just the world. This is what needs to happen. So what kind of questions are they asking that you think are not the right questions? And who are they asking these things to who are not the right people? Well I think that where my brain went to when he asked that was there's two different types of leaders when they're thinking about that internal motivation for people to hit their numbers. Mm-hmm. One leader's going to say, go sell something, you got a quota. The other leader is going to dig into that person and find out what their true why is. Okay. So, so many times, if, you're, if you could see these two visuals on a piece of paper, if you could see a building and that's the company, but if you could see a circle over to the left and it's you incorporated, Y-O-U incorporated, and so few times I see, A, the individual is working for the boss or the owner, and they've never taken the time out to figure out what's important to them and why are they really working. The company is just a vehicle to get us our, our goals and dreams and our money. Right. But 
but what's really cool is when you have a leader that really gets that U triangle, or excuse me, the U incorporated. They really understand that the internal, true internal motivation of employee, when they know they're clearly running after what's important to them, the company will win also. And that's the difference between those two leaders. One's but that's so scary for someone up there. That feels so intangible. And, oh, I believe in you. And here's your unicorn bumper sticker. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know. So how do those leaders, that sounds good, if, but it, that is not going to help your numbers this week or next week. How do you walk those owners through the process that it's going to take? Yeah, that's fair. So so here it comes down to, are you going to do the behaviors that get you the results to hit those numbers? People think you can control the results to hit that number, but you can't. The only thing you can really control is the behavior. I can't control whether Mr. Johnson's going to buy my product, but I can control the five or ten ways I can touch or reach out to Mr. Johnson to have a conversation. I can control those. Mm-hmm. I can get better at the conversations, but I can't control whether he'll A, have the conversation, B, take the appointment, or C, buy. Mm-hmm. So when, an, when a company owner gets that person who's doing the behaviors to do the behaviors for himself rather than the company, he'll make the call at 459. Mm-hmm. He'll make the call at 515 when there's no gatekeeper. But if he's working for the company, he's already clocked out at 430, and he's not being proactive after that because <laughs> it's not his why. So that's an amazing owner that comes to you and admits that they're part of the problem, really, so to speak, and that they haven't tapped into the why of their sales team. So that's, number one, either humiliating or just humble, (laughs) one of the two, depending on who you are. (laughs) How do you get someone to begin to model that behavior from the top down? How did they get there without tapping into their own why? Well, that's that's the $64,000 question. Is the owner really have his own why, or is he so immersed into the profitability that he's forgot why himself? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of you get into that servant leader kind of mindset and you get into that competitive winner mindset. There are wonderful styles of leaders, but how do you really do it? I think the, the thing is, is to ask the question, what is your why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll we'll hear a bunch of intellectual responses from both the owner or the employee. But once you stay there and keep reversing those questions and digging deeper, what is your why? It's going to be tangibles and there's going to be some intangibles. And, mm-hmm. But when you get it and you figure it out and it's crystal, mm-hmm. the next behavior is just, it's just crazy because yeah. they're in for themselves. And it's a unique person that totally buys into it. But when they do, it's over. This is where I should tell you, I carry a little picture that is my reminder of my why in my wallet with me everywhere I go. And people have asked me about it or I go to get money out or something and it falls out. And I'm like, that's, that's my why. That's what I get up every day. That's, that's, that's my dream. And it'll change maybe after I achieve that, but that's, that is in my mind. And I don't see the people in my company as a transactional way of how do I get my dream? I want them to carry around in their wallet, their own why. Yeah. And let this company be a vehicle, you know, for their why. But let's let's it. That's a very deep. That's a very deep yeah. thing. And this is why yeah. I have a deep and abiding love for you, Brett Baker. Because <laughs> <laughs> these are these are important. This is how you this is how you show up. This is how you be the yeah. very best version of yourself to not just for your staff or, you know, your clients, but for yourself. I have to be with myself all day long. And so how do I, you know, operate in a way all day long that I can live with myself 
and I can enjoy, you know, that I want to enjoy this environment as much as my, my team does. So, and but Priscilla, you know more about this than I do. And I know there's a whole millennial conversation here, but uh, I, the world war two generation before me, you know, they worked for the company yeah. and then you got this millennials coming They They work for themselves. So we better start getting really good at figuring out their why. Otherwise they'll leave. Right, right. No, we, yeah, we just talked about this. And I mean, it used to be the only option was being a company man. Yeah. That's not the only option anymore. <laughs> uh, they'll leave and, and they'll either create their own why or their own job to satisfy their why or they'll find another company tomorrow. Right, right. That's well, let's right. end on this last little, maybe a little lighter note, which okay. is this idea of behavior. I love how you always put it. You know, I don't, um, I don't put pressure on, and I'm sorry if I mess up the way you say it, but at this point I've said it my own way for so many years, but I tell people all the time, look, I'm not, I don't believe in putting pressure on people. Don't put pressure on results. I put pressure on the behavior. If you told me you're going to do this, this is what you're going to do. I don't, if the client doesn't like it, doesn't want it, doesn't uh, prove it in time, doesn't, what I don't, that's okay. I'm never going to get mad at anybody over that. What I want to hold people accountable for is the behavior that they promised they would do. That's it. So it's interesting because I just had this experience the other day with copy editor here and literally there was a really big project. He had like 20 things on his list and literally had an experience one day where he got one thing done. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We're, and it, I wasn't really freaking out because, oh, one thing. I mean, it was a big one thing, and I get it. Yeah. But I had to have the experience. Once he felt that, how bad that felt to walk out of here and have one thing done, right. I was like, you need to start looking at that list and setting yourself up for yeah. success because you will feel so different walking out of here, writing things down. And it, we were at, right at the end of the day, and he had just done an extra little thing. I said, I'm not joking. I said, just humor me. Go write it on your list and then cross it out. Yeah. And it'll give you a feeling you're going to walk out of here being like, I accomplished something else today. Nice. And tomorrow come in and let's, uh, you know, he was showing me a list of what he was going to do for the day. And I was like, that's not realistic. I couldn't do that list in a day. So I'm like, why don't you make five pieces of paper and put break this whole thing down up on the next five days, you know, because then you're going to feel good about yourself and you're going to know that you are achieving what you want to do. And it's just a, you know, basic psychology. But that worked in with our, you know, with our um, culture of accountability and really tapping into your why and, you know, being able to ask questions and and being able to pressure the boss of being transparent. Who, who me to be transparent enough so that you're also getting softening statements from me. All these little tiny things add up to a culture. So right. tell me about that, like behavior. What what's your what yeah, are your so thoughts about that? I'm saying there's a debate, but some people we've been growing up in this positive mental attitude the last three decades that they think attitude drives behavior. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to debate that. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's critical to have the the right attitude, but behavior is the one that really drives the attitude. If you go into work and you don't feel like doing the behavior and you don't do it, you don't feel better about it. But if you don't feel like doing the behavior and you go into work and you do the behavior anyway, you actually come out feeling better because you did the behavior. Right. Or as you like how my husband always says, yeah, that that's just a feeling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So in sales, what's one little tidbit you can give to some of my listeners who are managing teams 
what's yeah. something that you can help them help their team shift to really think about behavior? Well, again, so if, you, if your why is your own and it's not the sales manager's why, it's not the boss's why or the company why, we got to remember, we got to preface all this with it's our own why. But if we have, we don't feel like going to the networking event or we don't feel like making that proverbial cold call or walk into that business, it's a double whammy on our, on our self-worth hit. But if we don't feel like it and we go to the networking thing anyway, we make the call anyway, it actually drives our, our behavior actually drives that attitude. And we're not bailing on our own goals. If we don't do it, we're actually bailing on our own family and our own goals. Wow. Wow. So bottom line, behavior drives attitudes. We've got to be behavior machines. Wow. I, that's, to me, that is key. And I see that also with entrepreneurs. I think it's one of those things that there is a lot of discipline that that needs to happen in entrepreneurship. And I think people think a lot of times it's just based on your feelings. It's just like fun all the time. And, you know, and it, it's so not that. It is so behavioral based. I remember two years ago when I was thinking about building this podcast and this, uh, this dream that I had of where this company would be. And it is literally, I broke it down into tiny, tiny micro behaviors that I was going to have to do. And here I am sitting at it going, yeah, now I have this amazing marketing platform from which to speak, from which to jump beyond. But that's because you taught me how to really not put any more pressure on myself for the results. You taught me how to put the pressure on myself for the behavior that I committed to. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. So, oh my gosh, Brett, I could talk to you forever. Let's, I'm, I'm going to let my, my listeners um, put in a question or put in some other things. Let's have you back on and talk about um, um, some other fine points of, of salesy stuff <laughs> that yes. we like to talk about. <laughs> well, I love you and your company. This has been great. It's um, really fun. Well, tell everybody where they can find you so they want to read more. I, I know that... Um, I've really enjoyed. I, I worked a lot. I work a lot on LinkedIn, and so do you, because we're in professional networks. And I know on your site right now you have um, a free LinkedIn guide through the Sandler system, which is very powerful, very very powerful. So tell people how they can find you. Yeah, we are a Sandler training franchise, so you can go right to our our direct site is trustpoint.sandler.com. Trustpoint dot sandler dot com and so now everybody the mystery is revealed about why i like Brett baker so much <laughs> behold yes. oh. i almost can't mention you without mentioning our mutual friend becca davis and all we do like half of our conversations are just brett baker quotes oh, back and forth God. to each other so awesome. um, yeah you know her favorite just so i give her a shout out her favorite of yours is couldn't the opposite be true oh yeah head trash we'll yeah yeah but um but you know how she says it is ctobt Oh, so I, yeah, you've got to really be in the know with Becca Davis to get that awesome. one. So that makes my day. <laughs> awesome. Well, listeners, this has been super fun having Brett Baker on. And like I said, I'd love to hear from you what you'd like to what else you'd like to hear from Brett. He knows a lot about um, how to move beyond that traditional sales role, how to really achieve your goals how to bring your company to the next place. And you know that I believe that culture is your brand. So if that's something that you're yearning for, then this would be time well spent. So what I'd love for you to do is go to iTunes and give us, a, of course, a five-star rating. I would love that. But in the actual review, why don't you just tell us some things that you'd like to hear more about on this podcast. So for Little Bird Marketing, the home of Cage Free Thinking, this is Priscilla McKinney with Ponderings from the Perch.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.